today on It's Time. This will help each one of us as well as we experience things in our life that are hard. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. What to expect when you give your life to Christ and when you walk in the Spirit. Now, God takes ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. And oftentimes we think, well, if it's going to be extraordinary, it's always going to be comfortable. That's not always the way God works. I believe, again, because God pushes us beyond our capacities, it forces us to rely upon God. And you might be, uh, if you're not in that condition tonight, I guarantee you as a Christian you will be, where you need to rely on God because we in ourselves do not have all the answers. See, the answers are found in Him. And again, not formulas to find God's will, you know, rub the bottle and out pops the genie, but rather really to find God's purpose and direction and guidance in our lives. So as we look at Acts tonight... Looking where we picked up last, we remember that Peter and John decide to go up to the temple and pray. And as they go into the temple, there's a guy sitting there begging money. Well, they looked at him and he looked at them. And the Bible says, Peter said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we'll give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the Bible says that the man leaped up A notable miracle had been done. You would think everybody in the temple would be really overjoyed at this great miracle that had been. Here was this guy that was begging in front of the temple all those years, and now he's on his feet and he's functioning. Well, the Bible tells us that he goes with Peter and John into the temple, and soon as this happens, a notable crowd gathers around, because that's just something you don't see every day. Well, in the process of doing that, You might say the temple police came after John and Peter and basically arrested them. And they began to inquire of them how this notable miracle came to be. And so we find the dynamic or the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, in these guys' life, stood up to them and even said, you are who really crucified Jesus. And so because of that, it made him angry, made the temple police angry. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word tonight, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and may you encourage us. No matter what trial, no matter what this world throws at us, that we are more than conquerors in you. So give us that understanding, that promise, that peace, God, that comes from you, knowing that you will see us through in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this great miracle had been done. 
They didn't know what to do with it. Let's just a little bit of review here, verse 13 of chapter 4. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, Jesus makes up what we're not. Even though they were basically uneducated men, you add Jesus, you add God's Spirit into any situation, it changes everything. And I would just like to encourage you tonight, uh, whatever situation you may be going through, you add Jesus into that situation, things will change. And they will not stay the way they are. I've had people say, well, this problem always be like this in my life forever. No way. God changes circumstances. He changes situations. God's bigger than the problems that have come to us, whether we made them ourselves or whether they just happened to us. Certainly, as you look at this, this was an issue being arrested by the temple police. That isn't anything that John and Peter did on their own. They just did a miracle. They were kind to somebody and caused a riot, you might say. Well, the people loved him. In fact, the Bible says 5,000 people believed. Now, we already had read that 3,000 people believed there in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. So we have about 8,000 people now that believe in Christ. And so it says, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them and it's evident to all those that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no longer in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Now, we're going to find in our lives as Christians an opposition. In fact, we're going to see more of that as we get towards the latter part of chapter 4 here, what actually goes on. Now remember, there's two spirits in the world. There's God's spirits and the evil spirit. Unfortunately, the Bible says until we become born again, the Bible says we're unregenerated and we're really against the kingdom of heaven. So that's why it's important that we become born again, walk in his ways and in his spirit. Verse 19 shows the dynamic or the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he says, Peter said, and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than listen to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This, we talked about last week, is their testimony. And friends, if you're born again here tonight, you have one. And it's undeniable, it's undisputable. What you were before and what you are now. And so letting God be God and letting people know about that. You know, our testimony oftentimes is much more evident to those who knew us before we were Christians and after we're Christians than even sometimes our own words are. I heard a saying one time, it said, witness every day, and if necessary, use words. Well, basically, it's our lifestyle that demonstrates the power of God. People see Jesus in you. And so when people see the compassion and the kindness and the love, that's Jesus. That's that's that part of God that makes up the difference in other people's lives. And I believe this is something that God's called us all to do. So he said, they said, we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. 
by the way, uh, it's two sensatory uh, issues here. Things you've seen God do and things you've heard God do. So we all have that in common as well. And so when they threatened them, they let them go. Finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. Again, this man who had been lame and now has been healed. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Now, it's interesting here, the way this is presented, it almost appears that this guy who had been lame, it appears for 40 years. It might have been a birth defect in some way. Now, some places in the Bible, Jesus would tell somebody, go and sin no more. We don't find that command here because evidently this man may have just been born that way because it tells us uh, roughly of his age. Now, verse 23, we start getting into some dynamics of the importance of fellowship. Now, first of all, a great miracle had been done through the hands of believers. That's going to happen to you. The second thing that's going to happen is to the guy that was healed, it was the greatest day of his life. But to those who had no power yet had religion, it was the worst day of their lives, one of them probably, Because you have the real versus the imitation. And you're always going to find that in the world. There's going to be the real and there's going to be the imitation. And so what God then does with his believers is he puts them on display. You and me are on display, friends. Whether you want to be or not, you're noticed. And the underworld doesn't like it, nor those that follow the underworld. And just because a person's religious does not mean they are following God of heaven. The Bible talks about the gods of this earth and the gods of this world. And unfortunately, many people follow after those gods that have no power at all. Now, notice what happened when they let Peter and John go. This will help each one of us as well as we experience things in our life that are hard. Now, what was hard there was that they were threatened by the Sanhedrin. You have to remember, as we studied last week, if we want to go back to verse uh, 6, it says that there was a group of scribes there in verse 5 and elders, and it says as well as Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas. These are the two major kingpins that had Jesus put to death. And so I believe at this particular time, John and and Peter did not know or probably even think God would spring them. They probably thought, well, they crucified Jesus, we're next. That's just the way it goes. They didn't know how the outcome was going to be. But what's interesting in the Holy Spirit, it didn't change their testimony and it didn't change the way they spoke to him. Now, you say, why is that important? Well, when they let them go, notice where they went. And I believe, friends, this is something that all of us can learn a little bit tonight. And being let go, they went to their own company. Some of your Bibles read the word companions. Some say uh, company. Some say they just went to their own. If you'll notice the word uh, companions or company is italicized. And the reason that is, that was added in by the translators to make it read a little more smoothly. But the basic understanding is they went to their own and reported all that the chief priests and elders had had said to them. Now, you say, why is that important? They went to their brothers and sisters in the Lord. After the trial, they went 
for fellowship. Why? Because they needed to be rejuvenated. They also needed to share in the, what experience they had gone through. It says, the first one here, and if you like to mark things in your Bible, fellowship after trial. That's always an important part of our, you might say, recovery process in being a Christian. I don't think there's anything worse than being and going through a trial and then thinking you're all alone. You, you're not saved and you're an island. You're saved and part of the family of God. Jesus said, you are my disciples. The second thing we find here is it says they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Um, I, I believe the reason they told them is what to expect as spirit-filled believers. I think as a matter of record, as a matter of fact. And so if we think sometimes that once we put um, Jesus in our life, that we're not going to have any opposition, I think we're just simply fooling ourselves. All kinds of things happen. When you decide to get serious with God, things change. Some things get worse, some things get better. But I'd rather be better with God and worse with the world than to not have God in my life and be better with the world and worse with God. We all have to make that choice. So it says that they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. The next thing we find is, so when they heard that, they all ran away. No, it doesn't say that, does it? You know, a lot of times that's what we think. Instead of being in any way defeated, it just drove them more into the arms of the Lord. Notice it says, it says, So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Now, the very first thing they do is they begin to praise God after the trial. Now, friends, we go through trials all the time. And a lot of times we don't think, we just go, whew, I'm glad that's over. Well, you know, you need to let people know what you've gone through. There's ministry and there's healing in the body of Christ. And we all need that. Um, there's never going to be a point, this side of heaven, that you do not need to be restored and blessed by God's people. That's one of the dangers of saying, well, you know, I just go up in the mountains and, you know, my fellowship is with the trees. Okay. Hug a pine cone. Ain't going to change anything. But the body of Christ, a couple of reasons. First, it's going to encourage you in your faith. Yes, you made the right decision. Yes, they came after you. They threatened you. But you made the right decision. The second thing it's going to do, it's going to encourage people that you talk to knowing that because you make a stand for Christ, you're going to become a target for people's wrath. And that God will see you through it. Notice what they say. Oh, by the way, they were all in one accord, too. Great things happen when the body moves in one direction. It's always kind of bad when the body doesn't move in one direction. I don't know if you ever had the unfortunate experience in your own personal life of having that happen. It's not a good thing. When your body doesn't move in the same direction, you got problems. If you're cutting boards and you cut your thumb off, you're running one direction your thumb is laying on the table. That's not a good thing. If you've got stomach flu, you've got your lunch in one place, you're in someplace else. Not a good thing. It's a wonderful thing when we move in one direction. Well, the body did, and they all had the same prayer. Notice what they prayed. 
Now, friends, you say, why is this important? The very first thing that they acknowledge, look, is it says, you are God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. No evolution here, friends. Do you see that? The very first thing they acknowledge was God was the creator of all things. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. The reason I have any hope for this world is because God was in the beginning. If God was not in the beginning, I ain't got a lot of hope for this place. But since God started it all, I know God will finish it all, okay? The second thing we find here is that it wasn't a happenstance cosmic accident. If God made these things and God made us, then that tells me that we're divinely created for His purpose. In the Psalms, it talks about all the trees of the field clap their hands. And people say, oh, isn't that poetic? No, not really. As a matter of fact, that's what God created trees to do. Wiggle the little leaves in the wind. All the trees of the field clap their hands. You ever see the wind rustling through the trees? Pretty neat. They're doing what God created them to do. But when we're not doing what God's created us to do, you might say we're out of sync with the very purpose we're on earth for. And when that happens, we find our life then not being fulfilled or not going in the right direction, and we begin to live our life in what's called regret. That's with, you might say, an eye cast over your shoulder, always saying, I wish I wouldn't have done that. See, there's a big big change. So God made everything. And because God made everything, the good news about that is God's going to see it through. In other words, no accidents. See, I believe this is one of the reasons why evolution is such a problem with the Christian because God made everything. It's not a happenstance mess that happened. And as a matter of fact, for those that come along and call themselves Christian evolutionists, I've heard of those. But they're like grape nuts. They're neither grapes nor nuts. They're they're neither grapes nor nuts. I don't know what grape nuts are, but you know what I mean. Christian evolutionists, you can't use the word synonymously with each other. Because even in the Ten Commandments, God says that he made everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. It wasn't, and over a period of six billion years. No, it doesn't say that. It says six days and the seventh day he rested. So not only do you have the account in Genesis, but you also have the account in the Ten Commandments that six days means six days. What's hard for God? Now that's something we always have to think about. If God is able to make something from nothing, and that's what the Bible says, everything that we see is It's just energy compressed. We know that we've been over that before, but depending on the atom and the nucleus and the, and the the protons and the neutrons and all, depends on whether it's wood, hay, metal, whatever it might be. Just depends on how that's configured. The Bible says God holds all things together. And by nature, the very atom should explode and come apart because you have a group of, of, of neutrons and protons that should by nature repel themselves clustered together 
And this is what people can't figure out, how it all works. Well, again, it's just simply God's power that makes things happen. Well, he tells us, you made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. As we look at this from Psalms chapter 2, what is this saying? Now notice, this comes from them healing a guy, those guys being interrogated by the temple police. They then go back to their brethren and they begin to share their experience. And out of their experience comes a prayer or a recollection of God's word in Psalms chapter 2. But what is it that they're saying? Notice this. You want to know why live fish swim upstream and dead fish float downstream? This is a good place to see it. Why did the nations rage? The Bible here, number one, if you like to underline things in your Bible, I've underlined nations rage, number one. Nations rage against God. Because the spirit of man is contrary to the spirit of God. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. It's not within man to live righteously, the Bible says. So we can't be good on our own if we tried. But the nations rage. Furthermore, it says, and the people plot a vain thing. Now, I've underlined the word plot and put a two by it. So the first one, we find nations raging. The second thing, we find them plotting. You don't think there's a conspiracy in the unseen world to do away with the purposes and the plans of God? Do you realize the Bible says that the battle that we fight is not in the physical realm, it's in the spiritual realm? Unfortunately, sometimes these spirits are in people and we see their effect. But there is a desire of the underworld to scourge the world of anything that has anything to do with God. I don't think you have to really examine it very far to see that that's the case. You look at our own nation, for instance. We were founded on Christian principles. If you go to the Washington area, you see the the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson and all these different ones, all speaking in some way about God. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.